There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality. That's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. We must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Monday, January 22nd, 2024, the 1097th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'm your moderator.substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month, and in doing so, you will be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands. And if you can't or you simply don't want to, continue listening to the podcast for free a couple days later on a wide variety of podcast platforms and, of course, Rumble. All I ask is that you share it with your friends. You can find the links to the podcast, the writing, the social media, and the merch site by visiting linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. So let's pick up right where we left off on Friday afternoon last week. And don't you worry, we are going to get to Ron DeSantis. Of course, we're going to get to Ron DeSantis. But let's start with Alex Soros. CNBC ran this headline on Friday. Alex Soros says a Trump win is a done deal for the Davos elite, but they're always wrong. And there are some funny 
quotes in here. In Davos, Donald Trump is already the president. Open Society Foundation's chairman, Alex Soros, told a panel at the World Economic Forum. That's a good thing because the Davos consensus is always wrong. Now, that is probably the smartest thing he's ever said. Donald Trump owns the Republican Party. We are in something I like to call the Trump cycle because I think even if and I believe if the institutions hold when he loses this election, he'll also be the Republican candidate in 2028 and maybe even 2032 as well. Okay, so Alex Soros is simply deranged. When he says, if the institutions hold, I assume the institution he must be talking about is their election fraud apparatus that covers every stage of the election and the post-election. We've discussed this many times, but the global regime controls voter registration and they have public-private partnerships with the states to fill voter registries from outside. They have motor voter all over the place so that when illegal aliens sign up for their driver's licenses that they also shouldn't be allowed to have, they are automatically registered to vote. And we are told by the communists that if you can't send everyone who's registered, universally send a mail-in ballot, then it's voter suppression. So they control who's on the voter rolls and they send them all ballots. They control the sending of the ballots. They know where the ballots are going. Then they go harvest those ballots. If 3,000 ballots end up in an empty lot, the people who sent those ballots there are the ones who know it. Scott Pressler's team of foot soldiers is not going to collect 3,000 ballots sent to an empty lot from someone's nice grandma in the suburbs. There is no way that program works. Once they've harvested the ballots, they can cast the ballots. Then they control the counting of those ballots. And then after the election, they have their sprawling legal apparatus set up to wage lawfare to make sure that the fraudulent outcomes as reported are upheld despite the court challenges. Now, what I've described is just a tiny bit of the election fraud apparatus. Each one of those levels has entire systems built out to allow for the manipulation. There are a lot of institutions involved in the perpetual theft of the American vote. And those institutions must hold up if Joe Biden or whoever the Democrat candidate is stands any chance of winning. But let's get the rest of what Alex Soros had to say, according to CNBC. What's the way out for him? He either winds up in prison or he winds up in power. He's not going off on some beach somewhere and retiring. Well, that may be true. He's certainly not going off on some beach somewhere and retiring, but he's also not going to end up in prison. Alex Soros, you sociopath, you're kind of giving the game away. CNBC writes Soros insisted the incumbent president still has a quote unquote pretty good map and backed Biden to hold on to Arizona and Georgia, where he claimed the particular brand of extremism promoted by Trump and his allies is considered, quote unquote, really toxic to many voters. Now, again, that's preposterous. They must assume Alex Soros is basically showing you his cards and saying we still have enough of our assets in Arizona and Georgia in order to call those for Joe Biden and make sure that they are upheld. It's worth remembering that Brian Kemp, the governor of Georgia, was just at Davos, that very same World Economic Forum. And Kemp in Georgia, Doug Ducey in Arizona, were big parts of legitimizing 
the fake presidency of Joe Biden. Now, we can say that they were all part of a plan and did exactly as they were told. Maybe someday we'll discover that's true. But otherwise, they played a big role in making sure that Joe Biden would be considered the next president. They did not fight for election integrity. They did not fight for the Republican candidate. They made sure that the election fraud was upheld. Back to CNBC. But actually, if you want to look at one state which will really test where the election is, it's Wisconsin. Because if Joe Biden's able to win Wisconsin, it should mean that he's won Pennsylvania and Michigan, added Soros. And finally, he says, Biden actually has a particular advantage in a polarized electoral environment, which is that he's not polarizing. Does anyone believe that Joe Biden is not polarizing? We are still going to be pitched that story that Joe Biden is somehow a moderate or a centrist who can bring people together. He's the adult back in the room. He's a return to decency. He gets things done. At least CNBC was able to edit out all of Alex Soros's ums and ahs and errs and you knows. The guy can't say 10 words in a row. But the younger Soros, the Soros scion was not finished. And over the weekend, he had a post over on the X platform, formerly Twitter, that caught the attention of just about everyone. The Gateway Pundit published this last night. Alex Soros tweets out bullet hole and 47, a direct violent threat to Donald Trump. Now, that headline is a bit provocative, but it is hard not to reach that conclusion. Soros tweeted last year, the crime and inflation crises largely evaporated. So did the leading theories about what caused them. And so he attached an article from The Atlantic. And when you do that, all that shows on the X post is the main picture from the article. And in this case, that article from The Atlantic featured two pictures side by side. The one on the left is a bullet hole piercing through what looks like very thick glass. And on the right, we have a hand holding out paper bills of various denominations. It has a one, a one, a 10, a five, a 20, and a 10. So if you add those up, that is $47 in this hand. Now, the expectation, the connection here is that Donald Trump is going to come back and be the 47th president. I have always thought that that number system is ridiculous, but that's how it's commonly framed. So whatever. Donald Trump did not lose in 2020. He did not concede. Yes, Joe Biden's illegitimate. He is a fake president. The 2020 election is ongoing and unsettled. And so talk about 47 is a little presumptuous and silly in my view. Now, the article in The Atlantic is called The Great Normalization. And the subheadline kind of tells the story. It reads, last year, the crime and inflation crises largely evaporated. So did the leading theories about what had caused them. So you see, crime and inflation are no longer a problem in the United States of America. According to the Atlantic, Soros, etc., those problems do not exist. The crises have simply evaporated. And therefore, of course, Joe Biden is doing a really good job. The Atlantic closes out the article this way. Not everything is back to normal. Pandemic learning loss has erased two decades of student progress in math and reading. The abrupt rise of remote work continues to wreak havoc on both commercial real estate and the housing market. Even so, when it comes to crime and inflation, the great normalization was remarkable. 
Huge problems rarely improve so much so fast in such defiance of conventional wisdom. More remarkable still is that hardly anyone seems to have noticed. According to Gallup, 77% of Americans believe there is more crime in the U.S. than there was a year ago. Economic sentiment has begun to tick up, but it is still near the lowest levels on record. This may help explain Donald Trump's strength in electoral polls. A recent Wall Street Journal survey found that U.S. voters overwhelmingly believe that Trump will do a better job than Joe Biden when it comes to the economy, 52% to 35%, inflation 51 to 30, and crime 47 to 30. Voters seem to be yearning for a return to the normalcy of pre-pandemic times, and Trump is promising to give it to them. The absurdity of Trump as the normalcy candidate is almost too much to bear. Oh, the cope is fantastic. Especially because the normalcy that voters are desperately craving is, in many ways, already here, and Biden helped deliver it. Many economists now believe that the pandemic stimulus was key to the U.S. economy performing so much better than those of other advanced countries. The stimulus also might have played an underappreciated role in reducing crime by keeping local governments and the community organizations they support afloat. The only reason cities did not completely fall apart during the pandemic was because of a huge boost in federal funding. Patrick Sharkey, a sociologist at Princeton who studies urban crime, told me, and this is Roge Karma, that's his name, or maybe it's Roger. It's like Roger without the R. And then his last name for real is Karma. I'm very convinced that this is a central part of the explanation for why violence fell in 2022 and 2023. Federal funding caused violence to fall. And that's just true now. They have declared that this narrative is set. They have some statistics somewhere that will back all this up. And it actually doesn't matter how many more illegal aliens we invite into this country. Crime has fallen, according to the regime. So now you must repeat their slogan. If people say, man, what about that crime problem? You have to say there is no crime problem. In fact, there's a crime solution. It's federal funding. What we need to do is spend more money. Wait, on what? On pol police, I thought we were I thought we were defunding police. I thought the whole thing was that we had to defund police. And now you're saying that crime has fallen due to federal funding. Well, what are you funding? These people are nuts. Even as the pandemic has released its grip on our economy and civil society, it has yet to fully work its way through our politics. Before voters will credit Biden for making things better, they'll have to be convinced that things are, in fact, better. In the meantime, the sitting president will almost inevitably take the blame for whatever America is unhappy about. That's about as normal as it gets. <laughs> oh, well, you got that right, Roge. At the bottom of the article, The Atlantic lets you know that Roge Karma is a staff writer at The Atlantic. So he's just some guy that writes articles for The Atlantic. But here's the more important part. Support for this project was provided by the William and Flora Hewlett Foundation. Now, those are big time global communist regime philanthropists. You know, the best people in the world. What are the best people in the world doing funding a project for the Atlantic to publish about how great life is under Joe Biden and how the crime 
and the economic problems have already been solved. And that the only thing wrong in the first place was that whole pandemic. It took Biden a little while to fix all those pandemic problems that Donald Trump caused. And now that's what's happened. Can't you see? Now, let's just take a second with the William and Flora Hewlett Foundation. Go to influencewatch.org, type in Hewlett Foundation, and you can learn all about that organization. Let's start with the section headline left of center behemoth in 2008 Hewlett partnered with the David and Lucille Packard Foundation, the Energy Foundation, the Doris Duke Charitable Foundation, the Joyce Foundation and the Oak Foundation to create the Climate Works Foundation. It's so great that they have all these foundations so that they can take all of their globalist regime bucks and then pass them out to whoever is most supporting the globalist regime and its agenda. Jumping down. While the initiative has funded a few conservative and free market organizations, the majority of grantees are very partisan in that they seek to increase the role of government in providing solutions to the nation's problems. Many are overtly left of center. The Brennan Center for Justice, the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace, the Brookings Institution, by the way, the organization where Norm Eisen writes out his color revolution playbooks and puts together the legal foundation and basis for the Trump indictments, the National Association of Latino Elected Officials, Education Fund, and the Center for American Progress. Wait, the Center for American Progress? Isn't that the Podesta organization? Well, yes. Yes, it is. The William and Flora Hewlett Foundation have their hands in education, environmental causes, global development, and population, the performing arts, economics, and of course, race initiatives. And here are some of the other organizations they work with. Pew Charitable Trusts, the Resources Legacy Fund, the National Wildlife Federation. Through their Madison Initiative, they have funded the Federalist Society. The Federalist Society, you know, that conservative legal organization who, despite being very, very conservative, had multiple members write their legal justifications for Donald Trump being removed from ballots based on Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, the very thing Soros-aligned secretaries of state around the country are trying to kick him off the ballot for. They also fund the New Venture Fund, the Niskanen Center, Windward Fund, and Hopewell Fund. They have also funded efforts to combat disinformation and fake news, and they've funded voter registration efforts. So why is the Hewlett Foundation funding a project to convince Americans that we actually don't have a crime problem and we don't have an economic problem? Well, the simple answer is that they are desperate not to have Donald Trump be publicly recognized as president again. They are appealing to people's sense of elitism. And I'm talking about the uniparty left, the wannabe elites on the uniparty left. They want to think that the people complaining about crime, about immigration, about the economy, about a number of other subjects related to Joe Biden. All of those people are stupid and uninformed because that reinforces the justification for their belief in virtually everything they believe. They are in the game to repeat the slogans. That's it. These are the new slogans. Joe Biden is actually great on crime and the economy. Another question is, 
Why would the Atlantic print this nonsense? Well, the Atlantic only exists as a propaganda mouthpiece of the uniparty left version. They're marketing to elites of the same uniparty global regime agenda. They exist to do the bidding of people and organizations just like the William and Flora Hewlett Foundation. So let's get back to the picture and to Alex Soros. And there are three ways we can take this picture. Remember, a bullet hole through thick glass and then $47 held out in a hand. A 20, two tens, a five and two ones. Well, is it a total coincidence, the bullet hole and the 47? Maybe. If it's a total coincidence, then obviously Alex Soros and the Atlantic are not in any way suggesting that some harm might come to Donald Trump. They are not promoting the assassination of the potential 47th president. But then, of course, we would have to give them the benefit of the doubt and say no one could be that evil or stupid. And upon saying that, it's worth realizing that Alex Soros could absolutely be that evil and stupid. What should happen and certainly will not happen is that some brave White House correspondent for the fake news, like Peter Ducey, for instance, should ask the representatives of the fake administration, is Joe Biden directing his Secret Service to investigate the Atlantic and Alex Soros? It's probably pointless to even bother saying at this point, if that was the other way around, If Trump had posted that and it was a bullet hole and $46 in that hand, they would be trying to imprison anyone who reposted it. Now, let's return to the Atlantic article for one second, and let's take this seriously. Roj Karma writes, more remarkable still is the fact that hardly anyone seems to have noticed. According to Gallup, 77% of Americans believe there is more crime in the U.S. than there was a year ago. Economic sentiment has begun to tick up, but it is still near the lowest levels on record. So the claim here is that the factual objective situation in reality prime, the empirical observable reality, they are saying the economy is good and the crime problem simply does not exist, but no one is realizing. So why is no one realizing? Well, here with an answer is Wall Street Journal editor in chief. Emma Tucker speaking at the World Economic Forum. If you go back really not not that long ago, as I say, we kind of we owned the news. We were the gatekeepers and we very much owned the facts as well. If it said it in the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, then that was a fact. Nowadays, people can go to all sorts of different sources for the news and they're much more questioning about what we're saying. So it's no longer good enough for us just to say, this is what happened or here's what here's this is the news we have to explain our almost like explain our working so readers expect to understand how we source stories they want to know um uh how we go about getting stories that we have to sort of lift the bonnet as it were and in a way that newspapers you know aren't used to doing and explain to people what we're doing we need to be much more transparent about how we go about collecting the news I like how they pretend to be collecting the news and not simply making it up. Now, you might be thinking, why is this English woman the editor in chief of an American newspaper? But it's offensive to think that for sure. So you're not allowed to say it. And then remember, if you're a wannabe elite, it's actually better 
to get things from Europeans because they're smarter and more high society than Americans are. That is what we are taught. Isn't it very strange that we are taught to believe that people representing this global regime, the British Empire, honestly, the Prussian Empire, are smarter and more sophisticated than we are. They have a better understanding of how the world works. We are constantly presented with people who have accents and led to believe, led to assume that they are smarter and more sophisticated than we are. Therefore, their story has got to be right. I mean, who are we to argue with someone so cultured that they might have a different accent than we do? I mean, gosh, they've gone to all the best schools. They've worked for all the best European media outlets. They know so many things that we could just never even think about. And trust me, as someone who is very much a part of that uniparty left wannabe elite society, this is what people think. I used to joke that my peers in Hollywood lived their lives as though they were perpetually trying to impress an imaginary Frenchman. They want to be cool. They want to be sophisticated. They want to be seen as cultured with a global understanding. And so that means constant worship and groveling before their European betters. Nothing could be better for their image than presenting themselves as someone who would impress an imaginary Frenchman. The fashion, the affectations, the manner of speaking, the expressed opinions, the tastes in pop culture. We are talking about people who would make significant sacrifices in their lives to be able to take pictures with a guy like Alex Soros. They want to be at the same events Alex Soros is at because that is where the important people come together. And within the party of false decorum, to become an important person yourself, you need to impress important people. And the only way you can impress important people is by being around them in the first place. Or now, of course, with social media, you can do it by standing out online as someone who will absolutely do the bidding of that regime. That's part of the reason why you can see the confluence of celebrities and political figures on social media. Barack Hussein Obama really led the way on this whole phenomenon. But that is Emma Tucker, the editor-in-chief of the Wall Street Journal since December of 2022. She's had her job a little over a year, and she is publicly coping with her friends over at the World Economic Forum about how they have lost the ability to sell their story to the public. It used to be the case that organizations like the Wall Street Journal would simply tell people what the world is, and people would believe them. They were creating the facts by which the world functioned. And this goes far beyond simply fake news. They are creating a false reality by lying to people. People really have to understand what that is. It's not just that they're wrong about the facts of Russiagate, for instance. It's that the only way they could believe the Russiagate story in the first place is because they already exist in the false reality created by years and decades of this same type of lying, this same type of fake news. They are misled about what's happening and they are misled about what meaning to extract from what's happening. You not only end up wrong about all the key facts and issues, you end up wrong about what it all means and what meaning you should draw from it in a moral sense. 
It is a total distortion and indeed a total inversion at every level. And eventually, if you go on long enough believing information that comes from these sources, from the Fox News of the world, from all of, as we'll see in a second, the conservative incorporated normie sphere. If you believe all of that, you will exist in a false reality, totally detached from reality prime, the empirical observable reality where none of the things that they say are ever true. And it really is important to understand this because people are consistently led down the wrong paths about the most important issues in the world, and it leads them to making terrible decisions in their political assessments, in their business, and in their personal lives. They reject things that are right, that are true, that are good, and immediately accept things that are wrong, that are false, that are bad, the entire time believing that they are doing the exact right things and Those decisions that they're making come along with an incentive and punishment structure that enforce their continued acceptance of that information and their adherence to that same path for their decision making. We have talked consistently about this phenomenon for well over three years now. People who have not yet woken up, people who have not yet realized that all of this stuff is wrong, have not been touched by these concurrent crises, the greatest concurrent crises in American history, perhaps, and they have not been touched by them. That is a life of shelter and privilege. Their wrong decisions continually do not lead to any problems in their life. How is that possible? We're talking about people who have not admitted that they were wrong about any of this stuff, despite being wrong about all of it and not just wrong a little bit, Wrong in the exact opposite way, wrong at every single level in detail, specifically because they have been introduced into this false reality, cannot break out of it due to incentives and punishments within the party of false decorum. And they continually believe the wrong things, leading to extraction of the wrong meaning and then making terrible choices, both morally and practically in their lives. The critical understanding is that they aren't just wrong about the facts and about the details. They are wrong about absolutely all of it, and they are wrong on much deeper levels than a simple issue here or there. I'm not sure how any of this could be any clearer. If you paid attention to uniparty media throughout 2020 and since, and that includes, by the way, uniparty right media, Fox News, The Daily Wire, The Blaze, Town Hall, Salem Media, All of these organizations, these well-funded organizations, these media companies and the associated talent around them, you would have been wrong about COVID masks, lockdowns, critical, fundamental aspects of the Black Lives Matter summer of love. You would have been wrong about mail-in ballots and universal ballot harvesting and the election results. And the challenges to those fake election results, you would have been wrong about the insurrection. You would have been wrong about the Ukraine war and the paragliding go-karts. You would have been wrong about the very violent insurrection. And they're about to enter an entirely new phase of being wrong about pandemics. They are continually led to bad outcomes by the same media figures. And it's because this information stream is totally polluted. Now, if you want to say, Not all of those people are involved in these info ops. I would suggest that is a very, very difficult point to support. Now, they may not know that they are involved. They may just be following incentives. They may be following cultural incentives in addition to financial incentives. 
They may be compromised. They may be worried about being exposed. They may be corrupt, but it doesn't really matter how they got there. They are there at best, at best. They are ignorant to the existence of this false reality. They are ignorant about what the empirical observable reality actually is and actually holds, but it doesn't matter. They are engaged with a false reality and they are propagandizing the American public into that false reality and into making terrible decisions. Do they think they're actually doing the right thing? I don't know. Maybe, maybe somehow someone like Ben Shapiro or Dave Rubin really thinks they're doing the right thing, but I really, really doubt it. They're making a million dollars a week to lie to people on every important decision point where people have to make real decisions in their lives. They have been wrong and they have steered millions and millions of people into making the same wrong decisions. And at every point in that process, the wrong decision that people have made has been 100% aligned with this global regime and its agenda. They are consistently wrong in the same way and always in support of the old guard power structure. Ben Shapiro told his audience that they should get the vaccines, dopes. Why? Because his wife is a doctor. So he fully supported the pharma agenda and people still think he's a good conservative. He's said again and again that Joe Biden is a legitimate president and you can't prove that Donald Trump won the 2020 election. But yes, you can. He's just been lying to his audience now for well over three years. And people continue to think that he is a smart person, a good conservative acting in good faith. There is no way that all of that can be true. He has been wrong about every important issue. And if you don't want to admit to yourself that that is why he gets paid a million dollars a week and why he is consistently wrong, then you should at least understand that he is downstream from this Wall Street Journal style regime propaganda reporting. That is the sort and the source of the information that Ben Shapiro is consuming and then regurgitating to his audience, consistently leading them all to think wrong thoughts and reach bad decisions. They are telling you that they believed they were the source of facts. Their version was the version. Now people don't trust them anymore. People do their own work. They look for their own sources of information in a much more decentralized fashion. And the spell of the legacy media has broken. That's what they're saying. Now they have to lift the bonnet. They have to share with their audience where this information comes from. And where does it consistently come from? Two anonymous officials, two sources who wish to remain unnamed, four military officials with knowledge of the situation. And people are expected to believe them because, well, the Wall Street Journal would never lie. Now, before we get into the capitulation of Ron DeSantis and his supporters, let's return to a subject I've discussed a few times on this podcast, and that is the roots of neoconservatism. We've gone through this a few times on this podcast over the last year or so, but here is another piece of that puzzle. This is from chroniclesmagazine.org in 2015, Neoconservatism, where Trotsky meets Stalin and Hitler. Eleven years ago, I wrote a column for the print edition of Chronicles under this title, Tom Piatak's Grim Reminder 
of the continued destructive presence of this cabal in what passes for the commentariat in today's America has prompted me to dig into my old files and recap for our readers the historical and ideological roots of neoconservatism. The 2004 diagnosis reproduced here in an abbreviated form still stands. Now, I am very likely butchering this name, but if I'm not, then great. Serdia Trifkovich. The first name is S-R-D-J-A. It looks like just a jumble of letters, but I'm a hockey fan, so I've dealt with names like this before. I hope I'm on the right track, but I don't know. Let's get to the article. The neoconservatives are often depicted as former Trotskyites who have morphed into a new, closely related life form. It is pointed out that many early neocons, including the public interest founder, Irving Kristol, and co-editor Nathan Glazer, Sidney Hook, and Albert Wallstetter, belonged to the anti-Stalinist far left in the late 1930s and early 40s, and that their successors, including Joseph Moravchik and Karl Gershman, came to neoconservatism through the Socialist Party at a time when it was Trotskyite in outlook and politics. As early as 1963, Richard Hofstadter commented on the progression of many ex-communists from the paranoid left to the paranoid right, clinging all the while to the fundamentally Manichaean psychology that underlies both. Half a century later, the dominant strain of neoconservatism is declared to be a mixture of geopolitical militarism and, quote, inverted socialist internationalism. <laughs> Gosh, that sounds like a totally accurate description. Blanket depictions of neoconservatives as redesigned Trotskyites need to be corrected in favor of a more nuanced analysis. In several important respects, the neoconservative world outlook has diverged from the Trotskyite one and acquired some striking similarities with Stalinism and German National Socialism. <laughs> Those are Nazis. Today's neoconservatives share with Stalin and Hitler an ideology of nationalist socialism and internationalist imperialism. The similarities deserve closer scrutiny and may contribute to a better understanding of the most influential group in the U.S. foreign policy-making community. That was true in 2004, it was true in 2014, and it is still true now. National socialism and international imperialism. That means the growth of the global American empire as Darren Beatty calls it, the global regime, as I would call it. Others would call it the American empire. But the truth is, America is not the impetus of this sprawling empire. America is just the co-opted enforcement mechanism for that sprawling global empire. The uniparty right absolutely has a hand in that. And they have a hand, of course, in the socialism that continues to grow into just outright communism in America. And it is, of course, true that this ideology dominates American foreign policy, at least within the regime's evil twin faction, the Uniparty in America. Nothing could be further from the truth in the MAGA movement. Certain important differences remain, notably the neoconservatives' hostility not only to Nazi race theory, but even to the most benign understanding of national or ethnic coherence. On the surface, there are also glaring differences in economics. However, the neoconservative glorification of the free market is mere rhetoric designed to placate the businessmen who fund them than reality. 
In fact, the neoconservatives favor not free enterprise, but a kind of state capitalism within the context of the global apparatus of the World Bank and the IMF that Hitler would have appreciated. Some form of gradual but irreversible and desirable withering away of the state is a key tenet of the Trotskyite theoretical outlook. The neoconservatives, by contrast, are statists par excellence. Their core belief that society can be managed by the state in both its political and economic life is equally at odds with the traditional conservative outlook and with the non-Stalinist left. In this important respect, the neoconservatives are much closer to Stalinism and National Socialism. They do not want to abolish the state. They want to control it, especially if the state they control is capable of controlling all others. They are not patriotic in any conventional sense of the term and do not identify themselves with the real and historic America, but see the United States merely as the host organism for the exercise of their will to power. Whereas the American political tradition has been fixated on the dangers of centralized state power, on the desirability of limited government and non-intervention in foreign affairs, the neoconservatives exalt and worship state power and want America to become a hyperstate in order to be an effective global hegemon. Even when they support local government, it is on the grounds that it is more efficient and responsive to the demands of the empire not on constitutional grounds. The neoconservative view of America as a hybrid, quote, imagined nation had an ardent supporter eight decades ago. In Mein Kampf, Adolf Hitler argued for a new, tightly centralized Germany by invoking the example of the United States and the triumph of the Union over states' rights. He concluded that national socialism as a matter of principle must lay claim to the right to force its principles on the whole German nation without consideration of previous federated state boundaries. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Hitler was going to make a new Germany the way he imagined it, or else destroy it. In the same vein, the Weekly Standard writers are patriots only in so far as the America they imagine is a pliable tool of their global design. Their relentless pursuit of an American empire overseas is coupled by their deliberate domestic transformation of the United States federal government into a leviathan unbound by constitutional restraints. The lines they inserted into President Bush's State of the Union address in January 2004 aptly summarized their messianic obsessions. The call of history has come to the right country. We exercise power without conquest and sacrifice for the liberty of strangers. We know that freedom is the right of every person and the future of every nation. The liberty we prize is not America's gift to the world. It is God's gift to humanity. Such megalomania is light years away from a patriotic appreciation of one's nation. A psychotic quest for power and dominance is the driving force and the nationalist discourse its justification. The reality is visible in ultimate distress. Toward the end of the Second World War, Joseph Goebbels welcomed the Allied bombing for its destruction of the old bourgeois cuckoo clock and marzipan Germany of the feudal principalities. Driven by the same impulse, Bill Crystal's quote-unquote national greatness, psychosis, seeks to sweep away the old localized, decentralized America of bingo parlors and Little League games. 
Most heirs of the Trotskyite left are internationalists and one-world globalists, whereas all neoconservatives are unabashed imperialists. The former advocate quote-unquote multilateralism in the form of an emerging quote international community end quote controlled by the United Nations or through a gradual transfer of sovereign prerogatives to regional groupings exemplified by the European Union. By contrast, the neoconservative urge for uninhibited physical control of other lands and peoples bears resemblance to the new European order of the early 1940s or to the socialist community that succeeded it in Eastern Europe. Even when they demand wars to export democracy, the term democracy is used as an ideological concept. It does not signify broad participation of informed citizens in the business of governance, but it denotes the desirable social and political content of ostensibly popular decisions. Now, that is a fantastic description of what our democracy is to the regime and how that differs from actual democracy. Let's read the sentence again. It does not signify broad participation of informed citizens in the business of governance. And that is what we think of when we hear the word democracy. That is the concept in its pure form that is then conflated with really its opposite, its total inversion. And Trifkovich states that this way, it denotes the desirable social and political content of ostensibly popular decisions. Basically, once they are able to call an idea popular and sell it as the thing everyone wants, then the implementation of that idea through force is still deemed democratic under their understanding. It is absolutely the total inversion of democracy. Not that democracy is desirable in the first place and not that the United States is in any way a democracy. It is a republic. It was meant to be a republic. Now, I mentioned this on Devolution Power Hour over the weekend, but I've been reading a book called Our Secret Constitution by George P. Fletcher, who was a law professor at Columbia. He may still be. He's 84 now. This book was published in 2000, but he makes the argument that the Civil War was waged initially to, quote unquote, preserve the Union, but then became a war about removing slavery and bringing in this second constitution based on democracy rather than a republic and based on values of equality and social justice. He says that Lincoln explicitly waged the war to institute this new constitution and that it was instituted through the passage by force of the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments. And then we had another revision of the Constitution with the New Deal and another through the Civil Rights Era. And he thinks that all of this is good because the original Constitution didn't set things out the right way. As I often do, I would encourage everyone to go check out prussiagate.substack.com Particularly relevant for this issue would be their series on 1871. So you can go there and then use the little search feature to search the archive for 1871. And there's another Prussiagate article that would be well worth your time called Shiny Toys Clown Shows with a K, all one word, Shiny Toys Clown Shows and the War for Happiness. 
Sooner or later, we simply have to wrestle with the truth that while our country was usurped in 2020 in broad daylight in front of everyone when it comes to our stolen elections, it has been usurped multiple times before and always by the same global regime. And we are told that the increase in the global regime's infiltration here, the more our system is turned into their system, the better off we are. And the people who have consistently done that have always been recast in the history we are given as the winners, as the heroes, when the truth is the exact opposite. Let's get back to the discussion of neoconservatism and Trotsky. We left off on ostensibly popular decisions. And it's worth recalling the media's role in creating the illusion of ostensible popularity for the regime's agenda. Whereas the Trotskyite left is predominantly anti-militarist, the neoconservatives are enthusiastically militarist in a manner reminiscent of German and Soviet totalitarianism. Their strategic doctrine promulgated into official policy calls for an indefinite and massive military buildup unconnected to any identifiable military threat to the United States. Their scribes demand citizen involvement. In effect, militarization of the populace, but the traditional citizen-soldier concept is reversed. The neoconservative mindset is apocalyptic, which is a Nazi and Stalinist trait, rather than utopian, which characterizes the Trotskyite left. The replacement of the Soviet threat with the more amorphous terrorism reflects the doomsday revolutionary mentality that can never rest. New missions and new wars will have to be engineered and pretexts manufactured with the same subtlety that characterized the attack on the German radio station at Gleiwitz on August 31st, 1939. Even the tools for the enforcement of domestic acquiescence are not dissimilar. The Patriot Act followed 9-11 as smoothly as the suspicion of the Weimar Constitution followed the Reichstag fire. How about that? Echoing the revolutionary dynamism and the historicist messianism, equally common to fascists and communists, Michael Ledeen wrote that, quote unquote, creative destruction is America's eternal mission, both at home and abroad. And the reason America's enemies hate it, quote, they cannot feel secure so long as we are there for our very existence, our existence, not our politics, threatens their legitimacy. They must attack us in order to survive, just as we must destroy them to advance our historic mission. And that is the most Prussian thing you could ever imagine hearing. Prussiagate often asserts that although the Prussian state ended, at that point, it became the invisible enemy, as Trump has described it. The Prussian empire is not, in fact, a nation in their telling. It is an army that controls nations, and they do this through a global spy network that everybody agrees exists, and that spy network exercises its control over people in positions of power through corruption and compromise. They have infiltrated every industry in our country and around the world. This is not new. And these neocons are not doing this to advance American interests or the interests of the American people. America is the militaristic tool that they use to expand the empire and bring everyone 
under their system, aiming eventually for that one world global order, all to be governed by their global governing bodies, the World Economic Forum, the United Nations, the WHO, etc. This is not the advance of America nor the American empire. This is the advance of the invisible enemy, the Prussian empire. This is global communism spearheaded by the neoconservative movement and the neoconservative movement for all intents and purposes was the dominant movement in Republican politics for decades until Donald Trump came along and the neocons have fought back against Trump every step of the way. But let's close out this article from Chronicles. The neoconservatives mendacity apparent in the misrepresentation of the Iraqi crisis to the American people recalls the Goebbelsian hypodermic needle approach to communication in which the communicator's objective was to inject his ideas into the minds of the target population, which is echoed in our time by the Straussian dictum that perpetual deception of the citizens by those in power is necessary because they need to be led and they need to be told what is good for them. On this, at least, Trotsky, Stalin, and Hitler would all agree. As Hitler had said, the receptive powers of the masses are very restricted and their understanding is feeble. In the Straussian neoconservative mindset, those who are fit to rule are those who realize there is no morality and that there is only one natural right, the right of the superior to rule over the inferior. And despite their moral and criminal corruption, despite their compromise, despite their incompetence, despite their physical weakness and lack of fortitude, these people use all-encompassing power to keep themselves in power, and they pass this off to their ideological and bloodline descendants. And what we end up with is generation after generation of incompetent 'er ne'er-do-wells like Alex Soros making decisions that affect the entire world because they are just implementing and re-implementing the same playbook over and over and over again. Infiltrate, destabilize, infiltrate, destabilize. All the while using their fully controlled media to bring everyone into a false reality. And in that false reality, these people really are the best and brightest. They really are the most powerful and have the most control. But all of this only works through deception and propaganda. And they have always known it. That's part of the playbook. If any part of their agenda was actually popular and actually good, they wouldn't need the censorship and the propaganda. And you got to love the hypodermic needle approach as described by Joseph Goebbels. They wanted to inject ideas. How does all of that look in the aftermath of the COVID vaccine campaign? For whatever reason, the American public still can't wrap its collective head around the idea that the same people who were known for their medical experimentation on an unwilling populace back in World War II just did that to everyone again. But I know, I know, it couldn't be the same thing. Otherwise, the news would have told us. That mindset is America's enemy. It is the greatest threat to the constitutional order, identity, and way of life of the United States in existence today. Its adherents have only modified the paradigm of dialectical materialism in order to continue pursuing the same eschatological dream, the end of history devoid of God. 
They are in pursuit of power for its own sake, thus sinning against God and man. And the end of that insane quest will be the same as the end of the Soviet empire and of the thousand year Reich. Now, people in the normie sphere can talk all they want about the American constitution and they can call themselves conservative and talk about abortion and gays. But they're not conservative when it comes to American lives on foreign battlefields. They're not conservative in supporting Israel, even above the United States of America. They're not conservative in their support for globalism. They're not conservative in their support for the neocon Republican establishment. Mark Levin and Ben Shapiro and Dave Rubin and the writers at Town Hall and Fox News and The Daily Wire are not conservative. They're neoconservative. They are globalists. And there is no conservative version of the one world global order. It is not even possible. Their agenda calls specifically for the end of sovereignty. And they don't care because they believe that their positions of power are permanent. You will have nothing and you will be happy. They are going to be doing the same thing they've always done. And they believe they are entitled to that. Because they are superior and you are inferior. They talk about themselves as elites. They are the credentialists that can't stop talking about where they went to college as if anyone cares, as if the college degree has any value anymore. We just saw them all freak out about Claudine Gay and try to get the president of Harvard fired because she didn't do a good enough job of maintaining a safe space for the Jewish students. Oh, wait, I mean, it's because she plagiarized. That entire thing was about them preserving the value of their own credentials. They could not allow an Ivy League degree to be seen as no longer valuable as just some piece of paper given out to well-behaved and indoctrinated communists. They had to create the public image where the Ivy League schools are somehow redeemable. They're just going to get a uniparty right communist in there as the president of Harvard, and they'll say, oh, problem solved. We got rid of that other commie. Now we put our own commie in there. Ivy League degrees are still very, very valuable. You have to believe that we are elites. You have to defer to us all the time because we're the only ones who know all of this important stuff. These people are morons. And worse than that, they're liars. And worse than that, they're communists. And that brings us to the neocon campaign of Ron DeSantis. Now, because we always have to make this caveat since everyone thinks this entire process is just about solving the mystery of who the secret white hats and who the secret black hats are. It is possible that Ron DeSantis himself has been nothing more than a pro-Trump red team op the entire time, right? The kayfabe theory. Ron is just kayfabe. He's just running to spotlight all the rhino donors and the media establishment figures that support this neoconservative political project. The expansion through militarism and control of the global Prussian Empire, ending ultimately in full control over the one world government. Donald Trump and the other good guys apparently convinced Ron DeSantis to put himself through this for the last two years, but more particularly the last 15 months. And if you believe everything the liars say, then really only 
the last eight months because Ron totally only announced his campaign in May, even though the info op was set in place at the beginning of 2022 and launched in full in November of 2022 when Donald Trump first said de sanctimonious. Now, I'll discuss some more of this kayfabe stuff as we go through this, but I want to be clear that I do recognize the possibility that Ron is kayfabe. I've done entire episodes about this. If you would like to hear them, I welcome you to do so. I posted an episode on July 11th of 2023 called On Kayfabe, where I discuss it at length, and I've discussed it many other times throughout the 15 months that the Ron op has been progressing. I understand that possibility in full, and I have probably thought about it more than any other person talking about it. So I do not need anyone to describe for me the possibility. Now, if you're going to say that Ron is kayfabe, then you got to wonder how many of the people around him are kayfabe or know about this special kayfabe op where it's all just a big act. And Ron DeSantis is actually a patriot and a hero who took all these shots so that we could bring out the rhino donors and the rhino media establishment, all of these neocons that were hiding, pretending to be sometimes Trump, even though they were anti-Trump in 2015 and 2016 and anti-Trump after November 3rd, 2020. They were sometimes Trump, as Ben Shapiro used to say, throughout Trump's first term. Are these media figures part of this kayfabe Ron op, this red team op that is actually pro-Trump? And you might say, yeah, that's possible. Some of these media figures definitely might just be exposing rhino donors and other rhino media figures because Donald Trump can't just be seen to be taking over the Republican Party and putting himself back in office as the president. The American public needed to work all this out in their minds through a process they're familiar with, hence this primary that is fake but still serving a real purpose. Now, if you want to say that, then you got to tell me, where does the kayfabe stop? Or is it that every person who expresses support for Ron DeSantis is just in on the op? Now, of course, none of the people who make the kayfabe argument can say where the op stops and people's own personal feelings and sentiments and motivations begin. And why would they? They've got an excuse that allows them to ignore the surface reality, relying only on this hidden interpretation. That means none of this stuff is a problem. Many people yesterday took Ron DeSantis's dropping out the suspension of his campaign and his very tepid endorsement of Donald Trump as proof of this kayfabe theory. But let's go ahead and deal with the actual reactions and see what we think all that means. Now, over the weekend, there were a bunch of signs that Ron DeSantis's campaign was out of options. Ron got crushed in Iowa, the state that everybody in his camp, all of the social media influencers said he would definitely win. He had the endorsement of the governor. He went to 99 counties. He did the full grassly man. And he had the endorsement of supposed evangelical Christian Bob Vanderplatz. It was reported, by the way, that Ron paid nearly $100,000 for that endorsement. But Ron didn't come anywhere close to winning Iowa. There was never any point at which Ron DeSantis was going to win anything. Again, it's not a real primary. Beyond that, 
Ron has shown himself to be thoroughly unlikable and thoroughly incompetent as a politician. He has, quote unquote, accomplishments in Florida that he got through a rigged election Republican supermajority. There is no proof that he is not just simply serving the regime as a standard controlled neoconservative tool. But I know, I know it's all kayfabe. Ron can't debate. He can't campaign. He can't get people to like him and he can't get over his own personal awkwardness. So therefore it's kayfabe because really we don't want to hash this out with normie so-called conservatives. On Saturday, it was reported that Ron DeSantis was clearing his media schedule. He was supposed to go on the Sunday shows. He was going to hit State of the Union on CNN with Jake Tapper and he canceled it. And then all of a sudden, his entire calendar was cleared. On Friday, we got this headline from Politico. The DeSantis team ran the worst campaign in history. Now, who said that? I said that a really long time ago. In fact, one of my first reactions to the beginning of the desanctimonious operation was that Ron was going to be ending his political career by going up against Donald Trump. And I know I get it. If it's kayfabe, that doesn't count. Okay. Very, very smart. Now, this article is written by two establishment Republican strategists, Kurt Anderson and Alex Castellanos. Here's the intro to the article. Tim Paul Lentes and Scott Walker's presidential campaigns can breathe a sigh of relief. The mantle of worst Republican presidential campaign ever has been lifted from their shoulders, stolen by the crew that ran Florida Governor Ron DeSantis's campaign into the dirt. As usual, revisionist histories are being written even before the candidate has been officially buried, with DeSantis staffers and apologists offering a variety of nonsensical explanations. However, we need no gossip from inside sources to understand what happened. The debacle played out in broad daylight. Start with an indisputable fact. At the beginning of 2023, Governor Ron DeSantis was in first place ahead of former President Donald Trump. Now, that is not an indisputable fact. That's not a fact at all. But let's ignore that and just continue. Then acknowledge that the DeSantis campaign and Super PAC raised more money than any other campaign, including that of the former president. Many in the GOP billionaire class gushed over DeSantis, promising to spend whatever it would take to vanquish the former president. What could possibly go wrong? Well, everything. And again, many GOP billionaires did gush over DeSantis. At least that is what we were shown and told. And they all threw tons of money after Ron DeSantis, wasting every little bit of it. They might as well have set it on fire and they got absolutely nothing for it. So if Ron was an op to draw out the rhino donors and establishment and media figures, he certainly got the best of the donors. Now, is the theory true because of the net effects? No, of course not. The net effects are good to look at because they can give you different interpretations. We can say, what was the net effect of Ron's campaign? All of the rhino donors were exposed and their money was systematically wasted, drained out of their bank accounts, which means that it's possible the entire thing happened specifically to achieve that outcome. Now, is that true or not? We don't know. And while it makes a lot of sense to consider all the options, it does not make any sense to assume that a lower probability option is 
the correct answer just because it avoids all these other problems that certain types of people don't want to engage. There are still a great many people in the MAGA movement, in the America First movement, that have a strong affinity and feel like they have a strong bond with the conservative establishment and the media figures within it because they have spent so many years listening to these people and being taught by them what it means to be a conservative which is one of the great advantages of saying the word neoconservative because it packs the entire concept of conservatism into it while representing the complete and total inversion of conservatism. It is legitimately militaristic global communism. Are they fiscally conservative? No, they are absolutely not. Are they small government conservatives? No, they're absolutely not. Are they socially conservative? And people would say, you know what? Yeah, they are socially conservative. They are against abortion. They're against gay marriage, for instance. They claim to always know who has the wee-wees and who has the hoo-hahs. These people are socially conservative. Well, okay, if that is so, then how come over the last three or four decades, while they have been the dominant force in the Republican Party, how come over that time, the global regime and the uniparty left have gotten their way on all of the social issues. How come the Uniparty left and the Democrat Party are so able to just keep chipping away at the social issues, eventually getting everything they could ever desire, while the Uniparty right complains about all of it and uses it as a basis to acquire more power, telling conservative voters that they are the only thing standing in the way of the Uniparty left just dominating the country and doing as it wishes? If they are providing any defense at all, then they are totally incompetent at doing so. But the truth is they're not providing that defense in the first place because they are part of the same uniparty. So the Politico article talks about the problems with the DeSantis strategy and the problems with the money and the donors. They talk about the problems with the talent in the DeSantis movement, focusing specifically on political strategist Jeff Rowe. They conclude by writing, many political reporters and donors treated DeSantis's vaunted ground game as if it were more than campaign hype. The only thing the DeSantis ground game built was second and third homes for the consultants who conned him out of millions. To paraphrase P.T. Barnum, there's an ambitious Harvard grad born every minute. Perhaps Trump's vast lead could not be overcome, and this was the wrong cycle for DeSantis to run. Perhaps for someone so uncomfortable with people, this was the wrong decade or century. Still, that's no excuse for misspending over $130 million and running the worst presidential campaign in history. But on the bright side, Team DeSantis may not have its title long. Other terrible candidates and consultants are already lying in wait for their opportunity to con voters and themselves. Now, I don't know about that. I don't think there will be any time in the near future and maybe ever where a political campaign is worse than this Ron DeSantis effort. And you might say, well, yeah, no one could ever run a campaign this bad without trying to run a bad campaign. And that suggests that the whole thing is kayfabe. And I will grant you that point. That is a point for the kayfabe theory. It doesn't make it true, though, and certainly not true enough 
to just ignore every potential surface level explanation in favor of magic going on behind the scenes. Ron DeSantis was the rising star of the GOP, or at least that's how he was framed on television. His early polling suggested that he had something like 30% support or so. He could potentially challenge Donald Trump. Well, over the last 15 months, Ron DeSantis has taken that popularity and turned it into absolutely nothing. No campaign has ever damaged the candidate more than this campaign has damaged Ron DeSantis. Unless this is all a kayfabe op, Ron DeSantis's political career is over. Even in Florida, he is just a bad politician. He is unlikable. He is whiny. He is petty. He does not have ideas. And he cannot convince anybody. All he can do is lie about Donald Trump, lie about Donald Trump's record, lie about the 2020 election, claim that he's going to turn America into Florida and pretend to have massive accomplishments against wokeness and against George Soros district attorneys. There's like one example of Ron doing all of these things and his support base pretends that that makes Ron the only person who can ever accomplish these things. No one would even know about these problems if not for Donald Trump and his movement highlighting them. Donald Trump has created the most massive and powerful political movement in this nation's history. And Ron DeSantis has run the worst campaign of all time. There is no similarity here. This is not a judgment to be made around the margins. This is not six of one, half dozen of the other. This is a bunch of neocon establishment fools running headlong into a buzzsaw, thinking that their abstract power projection is simply going to make the buzzsaw get out of the way. Now, it's been clear over the last few weeks that a bunch of Ron's most ardent supporters seem to be heading for the hills. They were trying to be nice to MAGA again. They want to get back in and be our best friends. They want to pretend that none of this ever happened. They just simply, in good faith, thought the country needed to go a different direction. And they don't know that Joe Biden didn't receive 81 million real lawful American votes. Ask them. They'll tell you, well, you know, there's there's not really any any proof of that. If if there was proof of it, then Joe Biden wouldn't be in the White House right now. And because he is, that means that Donald Trump lost. And you know what we need is someone who can win a rigged election. This is the argument they've made for 15 months, trying to pretend that they didn't know any better. They have argued about covid trying again to pretend that Ron DeSantis was a hero throughout covid and didn't lock his state down. He didn't do any of these things. He didn't push the vaccines on anyone except he did do all that. And all the while, Donald Trump had told all his supporters, in fact, told the entire country everything they needed to know to avoid the very deadly pandemic narrative. And we did. No one handled that narrative and made better decisions than Trump supporters and those in the MAGA America First movement. All of us heard Donald Trump say all of the correct things. Now, he said other things, too, because his job as president is to serve the country. 
and his position was made extra precarious by the way the media had framed Donald Trump as someone stupid and reckless, an egomaniac who only cared about power and his own reelection. And he had to avoid every subversive attempt to remove him and threaten his position as the very deadly pandemic played out. The president is actually not all powerful. He delegated. He left decisions to the states. But of course, Ron DeSantis supporters ignore all that. They claim Donald Trump is responsible for the vaccine that was put out when he was no longer, quote unquote, president. He didn't force anybody to take it. That was Joe Biden. That was Ron DeSantis supporters telling everybody else, get the vaccine dopes. On every point in issue where they had a problem with Donald Trump, they were actually provably worse about the exact same things. Ron DeSantis supporters in all their anti-wokeness, for instance, are still absolutely the woke people compared to us. And there was more than ample proof of that in my interactions with these people on Twitter for 15 months. Ron DeSantis supporters are absolutely still members of the party of false decorum. They cannot let it go. They did not let it go. They care about how they are perceived by their liberal friends. And while they do not want to be branded as their liberal friends are branded, uniparty right versus uniparty left, they share many of the same priorities. They share similar lifestyles. They go to the same events. They travel to the same places. They live in the same places. They have almost all the same priorities. They are just controlled opposition. They want to win the tickle fight they have been conducting since they left college. There isn't much more to it than that. And finally, before we get into Ron's concession speech, his capitulation, it's also worth mentioning that these people, beyond any others in the country, legitimized the presidency of Joe Biden. The country simply would not have ever believed that Joe Biden could receive 81 million real lawful American votes if these conservative establishment media figures and politicians had not said that our elections were free and fair and that even if they weren't, oh, Trump just couldn't prove it. You got to listen to the judges. You got to listen to whoever you got to listen to. But Trump just can't prove it. Therefore, we got to move on. That is the opposite of patriotism. They stood by while the country was usurped and then they told their audiences of normie Republicans, of standard issue uniparty right villagers, that there was no proof the election was stolen and that Joe Biden was a legitimate president. None of this would be happening had it not been for them legitimizing Joe Biden's presidency in the eyes of the general public. Was that part of their kayfabe op too? And considering that all of them were never Trump in 2015 and 2016, was it kayfabe then too? Have they just been kayfabing for nine years? People like Steve Dace and Ben Shapiro. Is that what they're about? Kayfabe for nine years? Or are they just reflecting the same political positions and motivations and influences throughout this Ron op than they were expressing and reflecting before for nine years? Which way, kayfabe theorists? Please tell me. Is it nine years of kayfabe or does the kayfabe op stop at Ron and Casey, his wife? It's really hard to tell. There's no limiting principle and these people never express any limiting principles. They focus only on what works in a practical and pragmatic sense. We talked about this at length last week. They're concerned about the logistics. 
It's never about the principles because they don't even understand having conversations based on first principles. So this group of people who supported the legitimacy of Joe Biden says to their audiences that Joe Biden is the worst thing that has ever happened. And they are fully committed, fully devoted to removing Joe Biden from the White House. Why would anybody believe that after they watch our elections be stolen and then they legitimize the people who stole them and then they work round the clock for 15 months to make sure that the man who that election was stolen from is removed from the political picture altogether? Oh, I know it's just kayfabe. Very smart. Very smart. So let's listen to Ron DeSantis's capitulation and tepid endorsement of Donald Trump. And it's about five minutes long and I'm going to break in in the middle. But here we go. Greetings from Florida. The warmth of being home is a reminder why I've chosen public service from joining the United States Navy and serving in Iraq to representing the people in the U.S. Congress and now serving as governor of Florida. And it reminds me why I decided to run for president to fight for those who have been forgotten in this country. This is America's time for choosing. We can choose to allow a border invasion, or we can choose to stop it. We can choose reckless borrowing and spending, or we can choose to limit government and lower inflation. We can choose political indoctrination, or we can choose classical education. These choices are symptoms of the underlying struggle to ensure that constitutional government can endure and that Western civilization can survive. And we launched this campaign to bring accountability to government, regain sovereignty at our border, and restore sanity to our society. We cannot succeed as a country if we allow our nation to be invaded, our currency to be debased, our cities to crumble, and our kids to be indoctrinated. The DC elites who facilitated this mess do not care about you, and they do not work for you. They work for themselves. They seek to accumulate power at your expense to pursue an agenda that is harmful to the American people. Now, obviously, that's all boilerplate stuff. Some of that is true. Some of that is important. But that's not some revelation. You can't expect to gain any popularity in the 2024 Republican Party dominated by Donald Trump, MAGA and the America First movement, unless you are at least hinting at some America First ideas. He mentions the elites in Washington and elites generally that don't care about you. But the problem is, those are the types of people supporting Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis is the candidate of uniparty right elites, uniparty right standard issue villagers, and other low information political observers, almost all of whom are totally detached from reality, from reality prime, the empirical observable reality. They are totally immersed. In the false reality, they are experiencing total inversion, where the only way to fix the United States of America is to replace the uniparty left with the uniparty right. Makes no sense. The only way to fix America is through electing a president. They need to win a rigged election that they know is rigged, will admit is rigged, but then argue wasn't rigged in the sort of way that actually prevented Donald Trump from winning. Because, of course, they need to say that Donald Trump is a loser. Otherwise, it doesn't make any sense to replace him. Because if Donald Trump actually won, then he's not a loser. And if the election was actually stolen, then their support for Ron DeSantis is tantamount to treason. But they'll pretend that's not the case. And they will say that the only way to fix it is by winning a rigged election with someone like 
Ron DeSantis, who could win a rigged election, whereas Donald Trump can't because the regime who rigs elections hates Donald Trump more than they hate Ron DeSantis. They're not going to go to those lengths to defeat Ron DeSantis. And therefore, Ron DeSantis is the only one who can defeat them. Does that make any sense? No, of course not. But as I said, it's unfortunate, but these people are retarded. Let's continue hearing Rigdy Meatball tell us why he really was the best, even though no one believed him. Citizens do not serve politicians. It is the duty of politicians to serve you. Talk is cheap. Actions speak louder than words. Reversing the decline of this nation requires leadership that delivers big results for the people we are elected to serve. Now, again, unless you are totally bought into the mythology of Ron DeSantis as delivered by the uniparty right media, he has not actually achieved big results. He has simply given his supporters a list of accomplishments on a few different verticals where they can say, look what Ron did. But to the extent that he did anything, he did it with a rhino establishment Republican supermajority in Florida. And with all the power going in his direction, why didn't he do so much more? But let's say he was the greatest governor ever, as TV describes him. Why, with all his competence, did he just finish running the worst campaign of all time? Let's continue. I have a record of leading with conviction, championing an agenda marked by bold colors, delivering on my promises, and defeating the people who are responsible for our nation's decline. That is the type of leadership we need for all of America. Now, over the past many months, Casey and I have traveled across the country to deliver a message of hope that decline is a choice and that we can, in fact, succeed again as a nation. Nobody worked harder, and we left it all out on the field. Now, following our second place finish in Iowa, we've prayed and deliberated on the way forward. If there was anything I could do to produce a favorable outcome, more campaign stops, more interviews, I would do it. But I can't ask our supporters to volunteer their time and donate their resources if we don't have a clear path to victory. Accordingly, I am today suspending my campaign. Now, it's worth mentioning that one of the Ron DeSantis attacks against Donald Trump for the last 15 months is that Donald Trump was wasting his supporters money because Donald Trump had no path to the nomination or to victory over Joe Biden. And they actually tried to make hay the entire time about Donald Trump's indictments. Ron DeSantis took his donor money and burned it, set it on fire. And Nikki Haley's doing the same thing. She was actually just confronted about that over the weekend by some voters in New Hampshire who asked her, isn't it irresponsible to be spending $100 million on a political campaign that everyone knows you can't win when there are homeless veterans on the street? And her answer was, my husband was a veteran, as if that means she would only do the right thing for veterans. And then she said, well, it's a democracy, so we have to let the voters decide, which means she can burn all that money up until the voters tell her very clearly, hey, Nikki, no one except the Democrats you're recruiting in New Hampshire wants to vote for you. Now, again, it's been obvious since the very beginning that the Ron campaign, to the extent that it's real, had zero chance, zero chance. Normie Republicans eventually have to understand that there is only MAGA. There is only America first. There is not another option. There never was another option. Supporting other options that are not options makes you look like a traitor. 
It makes you look like you're on the other side because everyone knows Joe Biden didn't receive 81 million real lawful American votes. Donald Trump tracked the election, as he said, the entire time. He knows Joe Biden didn't receive 81 million real lawful American votes, which is why he never conceded. There are still ongoing contests to the 2020 election. And people instead are taking the side of the usurpers because they don't want to have to support Donald Trump in public with their liberal friends. They believe they were able to avoid all these problems of having to publicly support Trump. They could go vote for him because obviously they didn't want Hillary Clinton or Joe Biden, but they would never say it in mixed company. I'm proud to have delivered on 100% of my promises, and I will not stop now. It's clear to me that a majority of Republican primary voters want to give Donald Trump another chance. They watch his presidency get stymied by relentless resistance, and they see Democrats using lawfare this day to attack him. Well, I've had disagreements with Donald Trump, such as on the coronavirus pandemic and his elevation of Anthony Fauci. Trump is superior to the current incumbent, Joe Biden. So Donald Trump was stymied by the Democrats' efforts and the lawfare waged against him. Totally unacceptable. Donald Trump dealt with a soft coup throughout his entire first term in office, and the 2020 election was outright stolen. The quote unquote lawfare being waged against him right now is a political persecution of the regime's number one political opponent. And Ron doesn't frame it that way. Why? Because Ron was trying to take advantage of that the whole time. Now, I know it's just gay fabe, so none of it counts. But is he just going to keep lying to everyone forever? When does the kayfabe operation stop? And of course, none of the kayfabe theorists will ever tell you that because there are no limiting principles in their theory. It is just it's fake because I don't want to hate Ron and I don't want to think that his supporters are doing something bad, which, sorry, guys, is a recipe for losing forever. If you want to continue losing forever, Keep making excuses for the GOP establishment. Ron says it's obvious that GOP primary voters want to give Donald Trump another chance. No, they want to see justice restored in the country. They want something to be done about our stolen elections. You, Ron, are never going to have a chance. And then he tries to tie Donald Trump to COVID problems and to Anthony Fauci, even though Ron DeSantis kissed Fauci's ass. And ignores the fact that Donald Trump is the one who put the spotlight on this actual evil villain. And Donald Trump is not only the person who brought the problem with the vaccine industry right into the public spotlight. He's the only one out there who's saying he's going to remove federal funding from schools and universities that put mask mandates and vaccine mandates in place. That means Donald Trump is going to end the vaccine regime in this country. The reason people vaccinate their children is so their children can go to school. If the schools were going to lose their federal funding, if they put vaccine mandates in place, there would be no more vaccine mandates. If the schools aren't mandating vaccines, then there's no reason for anyone to vaccinate the kids. Donald Trump isn't the cause of the problem, as Ron's ridiculous and retarded supporters claim. Donald Trump is the solution to that problem. He is the one that has made this a national issue. And it does not matter at all that Donald Trump will not say the thing they want him to say. Donald Trump is not going to come out and pretend that he is the reason people took that vaccine. He's not. 
Donald Trump did not convince anyone to take the vaccine, and he sure as hell didn't force anyone to do it. People took that vaccine because they wanted to take the vaccine. Why? Because they didn't want to hear it from their liberal friends. The same reason why they continue to hate Donald Trump, because they can be as quote unquote conservative as they want to be as long as they don't like Donald Trump. Hating Trump is the thing that keeps them in the good graces of their liberal friends. It is absolutely classless to include your bullshit anti-Trump arguments in your capitulation message. But hey, who cares, right? It's just kayfabe. It's just kayfabe. That is clear. I signed a pledge to support the Republican nominee, and I will honor that pledge. He has my endorsement because we can't go back to the old Republican guard of yesteryear, a repackaged form of warmed over corporatism that Nikki Haley represents. How about that? Ron is supporting Donald Trump despite disagreeing with him because he signed a pledge to support the Republican nominee and he doesn't want to go back to the old guard Republican establishment like Nikki Haley. Ron is trying to label himself as friendly to America first, part of the solution and not the problem. But there is absolutely no proof that he is part of the solution and not the problem. There is a far better case to be made that he is exactly the problem. And all of the people who support those causing the problem support Ron DeSantis. There is no one who is part of the solution, who is talking about the empirical observable reality, who was right on all these important issues over the last few years, who supports Ron DeSantis, at least not in terms of public figures. Again, my focus here is not on normal Americans who are making their choice and the best choice they can make on the information that they have. I understand that problem and I sympathize with that problem. That said, it's been four years since this COVID nonsense began. And if you're still listening to Ben Shapiro and Dave Rubin and Joe Rogan and Megyn Kelly and all these people, at what point does it just become wanting to be left behind so that you can talk to liberals? All of these media figures are leading their audiences to their own doom. And not only is it insulting to the intelligence of anyone who's paying attention, it is sad to watch our friends and loved ones continually led into this trap the same way it's sad to have watched the uniparty left standard issue villagers get led into the mirrored version of that same trap. It is just a branding project on both sides. The uniparty agenda is what's pushed. Ben Shapiro and Rachel Maddow are not enemies. They are the exact same things. They are as different as Coke and Pepsi. Sure, you can claim to know the difference, but you couldn't pass a blind taste test on it. You could compile a series of quotes from Rachel Maddow and from Ben Shapiro about Donald Trump and Trump policies, and you would not be able to tell the difference. So let's get back to Ron as he is claiming he's going to endorse Donald Trump because he promised to support whoever the GOP nominee was. Gosh, it's so righteous. Days of putting Americans last, of kowtowing to large corporations, of caving to woke ideology are over. I thank all of our passionate supporters who have stood by us through it all. That we had people volunteer to come to Iowa in the middle of a blizzard to knock on doors and make phone calls touched us dearly. No candidate had more thrown at him 
but no candidate had so many committed volunteers and staff. What in the world could that even mean? No candidate had more thrown at him. No one even bothered attacking Ron. We dealt with his supporters online. Trump sent out a few truth posts. No one else even engaged the guy. He had free reign. He had the full conservative media establishment behind him. And meanwhile, Donald Trump is out there dealing with 91 indictments, dealing with the New York real estate fraud issue, dealing with the E. Jean Carroll nonsense, while Ron's online supporters are directing the same anti-Trump hate movement against Trump and all his supporters. Their online efforts were specifically about attacking Donald Trump and most particularly attacking his supporters. And that ultimately was the worst part of this. There is nothing that is not real about that. It doesn't matter how much kayfabe there is in the world or in this situation that makes it fake that these people directed the hate movement at Donald Trump's supporters. They used all the same tactics as the uniparty left their controlled opposition, all the same attack points, all the same language. Trump supporters are cultists. Trump supporters are idolaters. Trump supporters are dumb and racist. They're violent extremists. Ron's supporters did all of that. And all of that was real. That was directed cruelty aimed at normal American citizens who, by the way, bore the brunt of everything that has happened since 2020. And Ron DeSantis led that effort. It was Ron doing that. But I know it's kayfabe, so that means none of it's real. And I hope you can see at this point how retarded an argument that is. It doesn't actually matter if Ron himself is kayfabe or not. And it doesn't even matter if a handful of those media figures are in on the ruse. They directed the same hate movement the regime has built over the last nine years against Trump and his supporters to elevate, supposedly, Ron DeSantis, because I guess the three-inch heels just weren't enough. So let's listen to Meatball Ron wind through the rest of his capitulation speech. Finally, I want to thank my wife, Casey, and our kids, Madison, Mason, and Mamie. Casey's gone far above and beyond in her support for our campaign and for our cause. She's not only a great wife and mother, she's a great American who cares deeply about the future of the country that our kids will inherit. Our kids have seen and done a lot on the trail, from playing on the famed Field of Dreams baseball site in Iowa to making their first snowman in New Hampshire. They are one of the reasons we fight so hard for what we believe in. Winston Churchill once remarked that, Success is not final. Failure is not fatal. It is the courage to continue that counts. While this campaign has ended, the mission continues. Down here in Florida, we will continue to show the country how to lead. Thank you and God bless. Ron just waged the worst political campaign of all time, and he is telling everyone that he's going to continue being the shining example of how to lead this country forward. His speech just bragged about his own views, set out what his priorities were. Oh, the wokeness. Oh, the wokeness. Lied his way through his anti-Trump argument, said he would endorse Trump because he had promised to endorse the GOP nominee and Nikki Haley was the Republican establishment past trying to align himself with MAGA, which is the actual future of the party. 
and then tried to paint himself as a great guy. That was absolutely classless. That was whiny. That was small. That was petty. That was pathetic. Ron DeSantis, unless he's gay, Fabe, just happens to be the most pathetic politician who has ever risen to national prominence. He is entirely a creation of the uniparty right media sphere. And all of them, all of them supported him in full. How does that happen? Well, of course, we know how it happens. It was an organized op and it has been going on for two years. It is important to remember that that op, Ron DeSantis for president op, began before Ron was, quote unquote, reelected as governor of Florida. And this isn't a mystery. It was made obvious in reality. Donald Trump on October 22nd of 2022 posted on Truth Social about who might be the next person to enter the Trump quicksand. Many have entered. Very few make it out. On November 5th of 2022, he called Ron, Ron DeSanctimonious. And at that moment, Ron's entire media operation went into an absolute frenzy. They could not believe that Donald Trump has said this awful thing. And all of their followers out there in their audiences, they repeated the same thing. Oh, Donald Trump's going to cost us the midterms. And then they allow the midterms to be stolen through election fraud in broad daylight, as was done in Arizona with Carrie Lake. And their response was that not only are our elections not stolen, this is actually proof of Donald Trump's weakness and an argument in itself for why we need Ron. And then they took seven or eight more months to announce Ron DeSantis's official campaign. He simply ran a shadow campaign online while pretending to be Florida's governor who had just been reelected. He then used all that reelection money. And by the way, he won his reelection over Charlie Crist. The Democrats literally sent out a straw man for Ron to defeat. Why weren't they trying to create a new star in Florida politics by having that person go up against Ron DeSantis? It's like the regime just needed Ron to win that election. And of course they did. And they did the same with Brian Kemp in Georgia and Greg Abbott in Texas. And following the midterms, they pitched to the country that our elections were fine. Just look at Florida and Georgia and Texas. And it's actually Donald Trump and the MAGA candidates who are the problem with everything. Now, Donald Trump was quite a bit classier than Ron DeSantis. His campaign put out this statement yesterday. With only a few days left until President Donald J. Trump's victory in New Hampshire, we are honored by the endorsement from Governor Ron DeSantis and so many other former presidential candidates. Doug Burgum announced his endorsement a few days ago, as did Tim Scott. The Trump statement goes on. It is now time for all Republicans to rally behind President Trump to defeat crooked Joe Biden and end his disastrous presidency. Nikki Haley is the candidate of the globalists and Democrats who will do everything to stop the America first movement from higher taxes to decimating Social Security and Medicare and to open borders. She represents the views of Democrats more than the views of Republicans. It's time to choose wisely. And it is Democrat support that has Nikki Haley even within striking distance, quote unquote, in the polls in New Hampshire. Now, speaking of Nikki Haley and this Tuesday, New Hampshire primary. I mentioned on Devolution Power Hour the other night that a potential Ron exit from the race before New Hampshire shouldn't just be seen as some overwhelming positive for Donald Trump. 
They have created a national narrative about how there is a Republican anti-Trump movement. And if they are to steal this election on behalf of Nikki Haley in a rigged New Hampshire primary under Governor Chris Sununu, then they would need a narrative to support that rig. And now they have one. The anti-Trump block of Republican voters coalesced behind Nikki Haley. Ron dropping out of the race, despite his very tepid endorsement for Donald Trump, actually helps Nikki Haley. Now, I still expect Donald Trump to win big tomorrow night, but if he doesn't, you know what the justification will be. Trump stopped to answer a question yesterday at an event in New Hampshire. Let's check that out. You just said, will I be using the name Ron DeSanctimonious? I said, that name is officially retired. <laughs> so Trump has retired the name DeSanctimonious, at least for himself, but it's not retired for us. And until Ron DeSantis actually does something to redeem himself, he will remain DeSanctimonious. He will remain Booger Rob and Rig D Meatball. Trump can be classy about the whole thing because he's the one in the public spotlight. But I don't need to signal reconciliation. I'm going to focus on continuing to tell the truth. It's okay to go a different direction than what Trump is doing. You don't actually have to do whatever he does or say whatever he says just to be on the team. The point is you think for yourself. You make the arguments for what you believe in. And there is no way in hell I am just going to assume that all of this is fake and all of this is kayfabe just because Donald Trump is now calling for unity. Unity exists around the right principles and the right answers. If they want to unify with us, they're more than welcome. I would love it if all of the supporters of neoconservative Ron DeSantis would make themselves redeemable Romunists, but they don't get treats. They don't get compromises. We're not trying to attract them over to our side because first of all, we don't need them. There aren't very many of them and they're all retarded and we don't even want them on their terms. MAGA is already a vast, vast majority. And by the time November 5th rolls around, everybody's going to realize it. If they don't want to come support Donald Trump for their own good, then what kinds of people are we dealing with here? We do not need to make concessions to people who have directed a hate movement against us for 15 months. It's absolutely crazy. We do not need to grovel before these people in order to win a rigged election. It is beneath human dignity to do these sorts of things. They should be humbling themselves and asking how they can help, not telling us that if we're not nice to them, they're going to take their ball and go home. Go ahead and take it, child brains. We don't care. We don't need you. We'd love to have you if you can straighten things out inside those delusional heads of yours, but we don't need you. But let's listen to Donald Trump in his conciliatory approach. <laughs> How are you, everybody? So, you know, we've been doing great. We're leading by a lot. And like record setting stuff, that's the way we want it. Uh, we had the big day in Iowa, and we're going to have a big day in New Hampshire, I think, equal to. And uh, we just got some word that one of our opponents, a very capable person, is dropping out of the race, Ron DeSantis. And Ron is dropping out, and he. In doing so, he endorsed us. Yeah. 
outside but not too bad don't forget in iowa 40 degrees below zero this is like warm weather this is very warm up here it's beautiful uh, so what happens is very interesting because he's out as of three o'clock this afternoon with the endorsement uh without the endorsement i think we would have gotten almost all of those votes because we have very similar policies strong borders great education low taxes uh, things that uh, very, very few regulations, as few as possible, things that she w really doesn't talk about because she's a globalist. So I think most of those votes, and I guess the polls say that most of those votes, or certainly many of them, come to us, but we don't need them because the poll just came out, Suffolk just came out, Boston Globe, and uh, they say we're very far ahead, like by many, 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 many points. So I don't think we're going to need that. But so he's being classy, saying many nice things about Ron DeSantis, but he does mention there at the end, it's nice to have Ron's endorsement, but we really don't need it. And it's true. We don't need it. The votes are coming to Trump no matter what, but he's still taking a soft approach, thankful, grateful to Ron and going after neocon Nikki Haley. But regardless, you don't need Ron's endorsement to win. You don't really need his quote unquote voters either, because unless the elections are fixed, they're rigged. And we certainly don't need to cater to people who were willing to watch the country burn in order to get rid of Donald Trump in 2020 so that they didn't have to maybe lose face with their liberal friends by standing up against the stolen election. They've covered it up for three plus years. Are those the people we need as allies? Of course not. Now, we were told by Ron's supporters in conservative establishment media that the only thing that mattered was beating Joe Biden in November. No matter what, we had to defeat Joe Biden and Trump just couldn't do it. So we all needed to get behind Ron DeSantis, a terribly moronic argument from the very beginning and also one that never was true and that no one should have believed, but quite a few people bought into because again, it's too costly socially to defend Donald Trump in high society America still for some reason, because apparently all of the standard issue villagers and wannabe elites only care about being the smartest, stupid person rather than just not being a stupid person anymore. Full throated support for Donald Trump has always been the smart position for four years. Much longer, of course, but for four years since the beginning of COVID, when kind of everybody got immediately tuned in to politics round the clock, supporting Donald Trump in full throated fashion has always been the smart position, not just the right position, not just the good position, but the smart position, the only one that can be defended at all. He is obviously the only one able and willing and in the position to take on the global regime. There is no proof anywhere that Ron is capable of doing that or even wants to, especially not based on the support structure beneath him. But we were told by his supporters that all that mattered was winning. Let's see if they were telling the truth. Breitbart put this article out in the evening yesterday. The headline is DeSantis influencers melt down. We are not uniting behind Trump. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis's influencers are expressing disappointment in the governor's decision to drop out of the Republican primary race Sunday. 
as many are posting salty messages such as, quote, we reap what we sow, end quote, and others, but not all, making it clear that they do not intend to unite behind former President Donald Trump. While much of the political world rejoiced in DeSantis's decision to unify the party and back Trump in the primary race to focus on defeating President Biden in November, many of DeSantis's online influencers are having a much more difficult time letting bygones be bygones. Now, Breitbart's framing is always ridiculous. They are far too establishment for my tastes. They are always affirming Joe Biden as the president. It's just all nonsense. But we're going to work with what we're given here. The article does a great job of compiling some of the tweets from the DeSantis simps. And by the way, that is just what they're called everywhere now. Who started that and popularized that? Oh, I bet it's the same guy that did it with you sound vaccinated. Here's Jenna Ellis. It's Governor Ron DeSantis now, is it? And she attaches Donald Trump's statement. No more Rob DeSanctimonious. We're all just supposed to forget they think so. I don't. The audacity here to use the line, it's time to choose wisely. Instead of trying genuinely to recruit DeSantis supporters, the Trump camp takes a parting shot at Bob Vanderplatz and evangelicals who wanted to be post-Trump. Well, no, they didn't. There is nothing in the statement that even mentions it. She goes on later, highlighting Donald Trump's Statement about retiring the name De Sanctimonious. She says, It was all just a psyop, and you all still trust anything that Trump promises? I mean, okay, was it all just a psyop? I'm down with that interpretation, but why is it a psyop to stop saying De Sanctimonious? Ron was running, De Sanctimonious was appropriate. Now Trump is extending an olive branch and saying that he's going to retire De Sanctimonious. It's not that difficult. Robert J. Salvador, a gay guy in a turtleneck on Twitter who is very, very stupid. And remember, I've interacted with all of these people over the last 15 months. There were a few of us from the very, very beginning who spotted what this info op was and went head on after it, making sure to get all these fools on the record. But Robert J. Salvador is an advisor to Ron DeSantis. He says, we're not uniting behind Trump. List of things his hired guns have done to DeSantis supporters. Called Casey's cancer fake. Well, that's not doing anything to a DeSantis supporter. Dox women and children. Nah. Racist, sexist, anti-Semitic posts. Nah. Attempts to get them fired from jobs. Nah. Smear good people. Nah. Trump. Thank fat piece of shit. Warlord Dilly. And he's talking about Brendan Dilly who basically runs a pro-Trump meme team. They create the best pro-Trump content anywhere. They are hilarious. So this effeminate man in a turtleneck is playing a victim. We're not going to unite behind Trump because they were mean to us online. The people who directed a hate movement against Donald Trump and his supporters are upset that people were mean to them. Well, we talked about Chris Nelson Last week, he quote tweets a post that says, I asked Trump if DeSantis dropping out means the race is over. No race is ever over, he responded. Added, we'll see if DeSantis will return to his good graces. And Chris Nelson, a DeSantis simp, wrote, fuck you, Trump. Hashtag never unite. He went on. 
quote tweeting his own post about Robert F. Kennedy Jr. that features a picture of RFK Jr. with his wife, Cheryl Hines. He said Robert F. Kennedy Jr. will be a great protest vote against the toxic MAGA mob and then said the main reason why I'm not fully backing Robert Kennedy Jr. yet as a DeSantis supporter is I have seen him kissing Trump's ass way too much lately. We will soon find out if he is a serious candidate or just another Trump ass licker. These are Ron DeSantis's main supporters. You got to understand, I'm not cherry picking these. These are in Breitbart. This op has developed now over the course of two years. It has been public for 15 months. This is who these people are. I have, again, dealt with these people nonstop. A woman named Megan Maureen posts, I will not vote for Trump. I will not vote for Biden. Those on the right will say that's a vote for Biden. I say having Trump as the nominee already solidified Biden's win. So just morons. These people are morons. There's not another way to frame that. That is just a stupid person who has been totally brainwashed and misled into a false reality. It makes no sense. That is the opposite of patriotism. They have to lie about our stolen elections in this country to even get to that point, which is also dishonest. And these people pretend to have the moral high ground. This is Pedro Gonzalez, who is one of the dumbest, most egomaniacal, most clueless DeSantis simps. It is actually unbelievable. He was a Bernie bro, and then he was a DeSantis guy. But beyond anything else, he is anti-Trump. He was one of the people who wrote in response to that Atlantic article from about a year and a half ago talking about COVID amnesty. Well, hey, Pablo, here's the thing. Apply the exact same logic you wrote and understand that is how it's going to be with you. There is absolutely no amnesty headed your way, bud. He wrote, the people who spent the primary doxing DeSantis supporters, attacking our wives, kids, parents, trying to get us fired and make us unemployable, want to pretend none of that ever happened. It's not going to happen. Okay, buddy, you go your own way. The garbage pail kid looking softball shaped sociopath Steve Dace, who called us all cultists and idolaters at every possible opportunity a raging anti-Trump lunatic since 2015, but still part of Ron DeSantis's Twitter launch event for his fake campaign launch last May. He wrote, excellent and classy closing message, but I wouldn't expect anything less by such fine people as Ron DeSantis and Casey DeSantis. A sad day for America. I'm struck by the fear we made the same mistake the currently ascendant generation has consistently made time and time again and puts us closer than ever to losing this once exceptional country. And this time it was to bypass the most successful Republican politician so far this century, right when we needed somebody as ruthlessly efficient as DeSantis has proven to be. Well, no, he hasn't. He has run the worst campaign of all time. And you, Steve Dace, are a big part of that. But he goes on. But alas, we reap what we sow. 289 days from now, I sincerely hope I am savaged by those saying, quote, I told you so, end quote, because we won a must win election and Trump found a way to reinvent himself to must win suburban voters who have rejected both him and his brand repeatedly. 
You got your way. Good luck. The country needs you to be right. What a clown. Black voters are coming to Donald Trump in droves. Hispanic voters are coming to Donald Trump in droves. And if you weren't lying about election fraud, you would already know that Donald Trump won last time and already has the majority, a vast majority. And it has only grown since 2020. The idea that he has a problem with suburban voters is utterly insane. Maybe that's true around blue metro areas, but I doubt it's even true there. The only class of people that Donald Trump has any problem with, besides potentially black women who have sadly been the target of every, every identity-based psyop, is college-educated wannabe elites, the standard-issue villagers on the uniparty right and the uniparty left who believe that they are actually the smart people, when the only proof of that is their college degree and the quote-unquote successful career that thrust them into so long as they were willing to do the bidding of the regime and obey. There is no other group of people who is not firmly in our camp or well on their way there by now. Other DeSantis supporters offered their takes as well, some measured and some hostile, and they show some woman hashtag no unity. This DeSantis simp wannabe named John Burke, who popped up two months ago out of nowhere, wrote no unity with grifters, pointing out a post from Tim Young saying DeSantis endorsed Trump. So where does that put all of his deranged supporters who hate Trump? And of course, this is where it puts them. These people took money and were promised power to lie to the American public and help get rid of Donald Trump. And they have the gall to call other people grifters and say they're not going to unify. We don't care. We don't want you. We don't need you. You're not smart. You're not honest. You're not searching for the truth. You don't know anything beyond the normie mainstream politics discussed on Fox News or in the podcasts of these utter dumbasses like Dave Rubin and Ben Shapiro and Megyn Kelly. What is your geopolitical understanding, John Burke? What do you think of the multipolar world order as it emerges? What are your thoughts about what's going to happen to our currency and the future of currencies in general? Hey, John Burke, what do you think about BRICS? Oh, these guys don't know any of that. They don't know any of that. All they know are the anti-Trump arguments that have been rehearsed for them over and over and over again in the Uniparty Right podcast normie sphere. These are the stupidest people on the planet. All they know how to do is catch attention from Uniparty Right Twitter. It was amazing to watch the Ron Op unfold and see more and more people continually joining it and all of a sudden becoming these prominent influencers within that small bubble. They were willing to elevate anyone who would speak out in defense of Ron DeSantis. That's how desperate they were for help. Christina Pushaw, who was the original organizer of the Ron DeSantis op and seemed to be directing it throughout the entire time. A woman who, by the way, has plenty of ties in Ukraine and Georgia and not the state of Georgia and even to Volodymyr Zelensky. And now, does that make it more likely that she is part of a Ron DeSantis-oriented kayfabe considering that Zelensky himself could just be a construct and an op? Well, yes, that is a point in that direction, potentially, we don't know that. And regardless, the net effect 
of these people directing the hate movement at Donald Trump supporters is real. That part is not kayfabe. She said, nobody worked harder. He and Casey DeSantis left it all on the field. No matter what comes next, I am honored to know them and blessed to live in the free state of Florida. Oh, shut up. Dave Rubin, moron, wannabe stand-up comedian, says, In this case, America's loss is Florida's gain. And then he puts a little alligator emoji and a little muscle flex emoji with an American flag. Oh, yes, such a loss for America. Dave Rubin, by the way, very conservative, friends with all the other very conservatives like Ben Shapiro. Ben Shapiro is so very conservative that he doesn't approve of Dave Rubin's gay marriage, but he does approve of Dave Rubin and his gay husband adopting children. They literally paid surrogates to create two humans so that him and his boyfriend could raise them. And we're pretending that's conservative. That's human trafficking, my friends. Carly Atchison says, a once-in-a-generation leader who will continue to fight the fight in the free state of Florida. Now and always, I am Team DeSantis. James Uthmeyer says, I've worked for many public servants, but only one who is truly selfless in his service to the country. Ron DeSantis is the real deal. As someone who loves executing good policy to help people, supporting this guy has been fulfilling. We fought the good fight and we aren't done. Scott Wagner says, I am incredibly proud to have fought by and for Ron DeSantis, and I will always continue to do so. The governor is a true public servant, an unyielding conservative warrior who fights for the people and a unique leader with a record of delivering 100% of his promises. I trust his judgment and echo his call for unity as we fight together for America's future. Oh, you're such a good guy, Scott. Ali Beth Stuckley says, I understand this move, but I'm sad about it. He's a truly conservative, proven leader and effective culture warrior. While it's true that Trump will be better than Biden, I have no doubt DeSantis would have been our best bet for turning the country around. You can argue all you want in the replies, but you're not going to convince me the 80-something guy who called heartbeat bills terrible and ham-hawed when asked if men can become women is the best option to lead a revolution for conservative values, even if I am grateful for the good moves he made last time. Genuinely hope to be proven wrong. Hey, Ali Beth Stuckley, what do you think about the elections in Taiwan? What do you think about Chevron deference? Oh, wait, I know. You only think about woke stuff. You only care that everyone can tell, just like you can, who has the wee-wees and who has the hoo-hahs. The most basic, obvious fact of nature, and it's still mysterious to these people and their audiences, so they have to talk about it 100% of the time. Scott Moorfield, another DeSantis simp, says, Supporting Ron DeSantis for president has been one of the great honors of my political life, right up there with Pat Buchanan and Ron Paul, two other great leaders and brilliant thinkers for whom GOP voters weren't yet ready. No matter what happens in November, I'll sleep like a baby knowing I did what I felt was right. Moron. He goes on. Obviously, I wouldn't vote for Biden or any other Democrat. 
That said, Trump's job, at least when it comes to winning my vote and support, is to prove that he is a better overall candidate than Robert Kennedy Jr. Here's how things look so far on several key issues. COVID jab and COVID policy, RFK Jr. Medical freedom, RFK Jr. Statesmanship, RFK Jr. Climate policy, Trump. Economy, Trump. Second Amendment, wash. Oh, yeah. So right, Scott. Gosh, what a point you've got. Abortion, wash. Oh, yeah. The guy who put three pro-life justices onto the Supreme Court that enabled the overturning of Roe versus Wade is just the same as the pro-choice Robert F. Kennedy Jr. These people are such liars. Foreign policy, wash. As if Ron DeSantis has good foreign policy. Not talking about any actual issue of foreign policy, but oh, he's kind of supporting Ukraine, but strongly supporting Israel. Yes, great foreign policy. Immigration, wash. You clown. Electability. Trump remains one of the least liked politicians in the country and has little chance of reaching the White House against Biden or an eggplant with a D beside its name. Given that, an independent candidate could make serious waves for the first time since Ross Perot in 92 could be interesting. And that is what we are going to see quite a lot in the coming weeks and months. Ron DeSantis supporters moving to the Robert F. Kennedy Jr. camp. And there's a big, big info op already developing for Robert F. Kennedy Jr., you can know them by the fact that they were mostly right about COVID while affirming the seriousness of COVID and the existence of viruses and everything else that follows, the sometimes usefulness of vaccines, while totally ignoring any issues of election integrity. There are even former Trump people who are filling that role exactly. You can watch as Tracy Beans goes and heads from the Ron DeSantis camp to the Robert F. Kennedy Jr. camp. Watch it happen. Do I know it's going to happen? I don't know it for sure, but I have a very strong suspicion because she still blames Donald Trump for vaccine-induced genocide. She is not very smart. John Cardillo, one of the most militantly idiotic Ron DeSantis simps, writes, on Tuesday morning, I posted that the primary was over. DeSantis supporters were upset, but math is math. Ron's speech was that of a statesman who wants to defeat the leftist agenda above all else. No, no, it wasn't. You're still lying. Sadly, Trump supporters are still attacking him and his supporters. Dumb move when the general might be decided by a razor thin margin. And again, he is reaffirming the integrity of our obviously rigged elections. These people are liars. They are supporters of the global regime and the system as it is in place now. He goes on. Congrats to all the people who have now been given permission to like DeSantis again. Well, we don't like DeSantis. Some MAGA America First supporters are calling for Ron DeSantis to be named vice president as a means of unifying the Republican Party in order to quote unquote win a rigged election. Does anybody ever learn the lesson? And the truth is, no, they don't. People are acting like battered wives who are so happy that their husband has finally stopped beating them, that they are willing to go out and tell everybody, oh, he's changed. He's better. He's great. Like I always knew he was. Ron DeSantis strategically capitulates and everybody's like, yes, let's unify. Let's make him vice president. I need all these people to be my best friend right now. I want all of them to be my best friend. 
It really, really upset me to have to argue with these people. And I really want us to reunite as best friends. The article ends with a tweet from Jordan Schachtel, who was one of the less offensive DeSantis simps, but still made the wrong decision and did it loudly and publicly and in irredeemable fashion. He wrote, this is the right move. It will be great to have him back in Florida. Pathetic. All of them are pathetic, but they're not the worst. The worst is Daily Wire's own Jeremy Boring, the partner of Ben Shapiro, the guy who made a commercial for Jeremy's razors. And just the fact that those razors exist means it's all totally above board that all of the content creators at Daily Wire make a million dollars a week. Here is what Jeremy Boring posted on X, formerly Twitter, this morning. Ron DeSantis is the most effective governor in the country, turned a swing state into a red state, and uniquely marries Donald Trump's fighting spirit with a discipline and focus on effective governing that Trump doesn't have. He would be a terrific president, better than we deserve. You clown. But he goes on. But in order to be president, one must win the nomination. DeSantis did not and could not because Republican voters are treating Trump as an incumbent and this cycle as perfunctory. I wish that weren't the case, but I understand why it is. Trump proved his case in Iowa and DeSantis is right to bow out in the face of that evidence. This was a once in a century primary and it's now effectively over. No, it wasn't a once in a century primary. Ron DeSantis is a joke. He was always a joke. And the only reason anyone thought differently is because these people in the well-funded conservative media establishment, conservative in quotes, lied to the American public for two years, but actually much longer. They've been lying about Ron DeSantis since 2020. Ron DeSantis was elevated intentionally as our COVID savior in 2020 and since, despite not being that. Why doesn't anyone ask why that is? Oh, I get it. It's because it's a a four-year kayfabe operation, just like the nine-year kayfabe operation that all of Ron DeSantis' online supporters were running. Smart, very smart, very, very kayfabe. He goes on. I think some elements of MAGA are unduly vile toward Nikki Haley. Maybe the best UN ambassador the country ever had. What in the hell is he talking about? He's going to rank UN ambassadors? What does that even mean? Nikki Haley is a moron. She's a warmongering neocon. What did she do in the UN? Now, maybe Jeremy Boring knows something I don't know, but that's a rather remote possibility because there is no proof whatsoever in any of the 24-7 trans content produced by Daily Wire, the biggest producers of trans content, that these guys know anything beyond normie politics. But back to Boring. He says, but she's not going to be the party's nominee and she shouldn't be. It's time for everyone to take a week to nurse all of the hurt feelings that come with primaries and then get to work defeating the left. It's going to take every single vote we can muster to make that happen. And implicit in that is the lie that our elections are real and legitimate that they are safe and secure, and that the reported results reflect the will and intent of the American voter. None of that is true. And even the mention that they should all take a week to nurse 
all of their hurt feelings is so pathetic. These guys are absolutely just the same woke liberal morons that they pretend to oppose. They are controlled opposition. They are the same thing with slightly different branding. 2024 is going to be the most difficult election in modern American history. The left will do everything in its considerable power to prevent this from being a fair contest. It will take nothing short of God's grace to keep the Republic from unraveling completely between now and the inauguration in 2025. Donald Trump is a deeply flawed man. I hope he wins all 50 states. These people honestly are pathetic. Unifying with these people on their terms, making any compromise with these people whatsoever is beneath the dignity of every patriotic, good faith American citizen. Even if the Ron op was kayfabe, it was kayfabe to expose this. And now that it is fully exposed, the dumbest thing we could ever do is to make concessions to it. Unless, of course, that is you want to continue losing forever. Now, I did not set out to make a two hour and 15 minute long episode today, but it happened nonetheless. So I may take the day off tomorrow and focus on some writing, but we'll see what develops in the world. And I imagine that it is likely that I will be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic and Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at imyourmoderator.substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. Comes out to under a quarter per episode and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com. And you can find everything else by heading to Linktree, linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you soon out on the range. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. 
No, wait. Is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable splash refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!